Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at Squeezed.com. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. Thank you for being here. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. All right, I, I did it. I did my first stand-up routine, my first open mic. You are going to hear it and all about it this week, episode 29. Let's get going right now. Hollywood and Levine. Okay, let me explain what's going to go on here. I am recording this particular section on the morning of July 11th. Later on tonight, I am going to have my... open mic debut and then i'll record a post open mic section or autopsy however it turns out but i thought it might be kind of fun to first of all walk you through my process then you actually hear it and then we can analyze it okay (laughs) Okay. Uh, Anyway, this started out a couple of episodes ago. Remember I was talking about stand-up comedy with Tom Caltabiano, and I had mentioned at the time that I had never personally done stand-up. I've done improv comedy and radio, and uh, I've done a little acting, and I've done storytelling, but I've never gotten in front of an audience and said, how many of you folks are from out of town? And I never really had any desire to do that. But now that I have a podcast, I'm always looking for different stunts and different interesting new things to do. So I figured, what the heck? Actually, to be quite honest with you, I just finished reading this book about David Letterman, and I kind of got inspired when he talks about the uh, the late show when he was on NBC. And in those early days, he would do all kinds of interesting, fun stunts. So that's kind of what inspired me to go off half-cocked and do this. So uh, in my improv workshop, there are uh, a couple of people who also do stand-up, including Susie Sagar, who has a pretty good career at it. So I talked to her and I said, how do you set this thing up? And she worked it out for me because there are a number of places in Los Angeles, as you can imagine, just about every pizza parlor has an open mic night. And so she worked it out with this particular club, which is in Burbank, California, and it's called The Other Door. And I didn't invite an awful lot of people because just to pack the place with friends who are going to laugh out of pity to me, is not a a real test. I want to see how this goes with an audience of mostly 
strangers of people seeing me stand up on stage and go, who the hell is this guy? So that was the plan. And as I talk to you at this moment, I have no idea whether the audience was four people or 20 people or seven drunks. I have no idea. Anyway, Susie told me the rules, which are I have to have five minutes of material. So that's my first hurdle. What the heck am I going to talk about? Usually they say comedians need to have sort of their own persona, you know, and it's true. Because when you go to see Louis C.K. or Dave Chappelle or Amy Schumer, you know going in who they are and what their take is of the world. But when it's an open mic night, And there's probably a ton of millennials who will come up before me and then suddenly this guy, who the heck is this guy? Uh, It's kind of tough to just launch into my material as if they know me. So I had to come up with material that I thought, number one, has to be original. Number two has to be different from the kind of stuff that they're all telling you know, I'm sure a lot of the jokes are, uh, boy, you try getting laid uh, in L.A. these days. Or, boy, uh, try finding an Uber in Los Angeles these days. So I had to come up with something that was a little bit different. You know, try finding a lift in L.A. in these days. And I also thought, you know, instead of just writing a string of jokes, that what I would do instead was tell a couple of stories. Some of my favorite comedians growing up are the comedians that basically would just tell stories and there were a string of jokes along the way which led you to a punchline. Uh, Woody Allen was really good at that in his stand-up routines. And some of the other comedians who I also really admire, Dave Chappelle does this a lot, is that the stories not only are really funny, but they're true. So I thought, okay, I want to do some true stories, kind of the stuff that I do all the time here on the podcast, but it has to really get some laughs. And the podcast was another factor because I thought, well, I told some really funny stories over the last few weeks here on the podcast. Well, at least I think they're funny, but I don't want to do that again because now the podcast listeners are going, oh, God, the WLS story again? You just told that thing like a month ago. So it had to be material that was new to you as well. And what I decided to come up with was some stories from my days in the Army Reserves. I was in the Army Reserves back in the... Uh, early, let's just say that the Vietnam War was on and I got into the reserves because back then there was a draft lottery based on your birth date and my draft lottery number was four. That's right, four, which means even if they disbanded the military, I would still be drafted. So I got my ass into a an armed forces radio reserve unit actually, Uh, You know, in case I was called up, it was good morning, Vietnam. So that's what I thought I would I would talk about, because I was terrible in basic training. I was truly uh, a huge fuck up. 
And so that's the material that I came up with. And it was kind of easy in a sense because, like I said, there are true stories. So I tell a series of about three or four true stories, and I also sprinkle in a few more jokes here and there. So that took me a few days to do. And then I thought, all right, I should start memorizing this. But I figured, well, wait a minute. Why don't I time it first and see whether or not I'm within the ballpark? Because they do not want you to go over five minutes. So I got out my stopwatch and I did my routine. And sure enough, it was six and a half minutes. So I had to go back through and hack a lot of stuff out. And as I'm talking to you at this moment, the last time I did it, it was 4.30. Now, that's certainly without a laugh spread, and so hopefully I'm within the ballpark. But again, I don't know. Maybe tonight it's going to get a lot of laughs or I'm going to embellish and ad lib and find myself halfway through the act when the light goes on saying one minute. We'll have to find out uh, again on the postgame show. So I am sort of memorizing my routine. And by that, I mean, well, I don't want to have it so memorized that it feels like it's a memorized, prepared bit. And since these are stories, I am basically just going to share the stories the way I would share them to you if you and I were at a dinner party. So what I did this morning was I emailed a bunch of friends who all are stand-up comics. And I solicited their last-minute advice, and I compiled that, and this is the advice that I was given. Number one, be yourself. Okay, so that's going to be difficult right away. Number two, the idea that people want to laugh, which, you know, hopefully is true. Shut up when they do laugh, And this is something I always tell actors, don't step on laughs. So that part, I should only have that problem. Don't let them see you sweat. Don't apologize. And one person said, open with your second strongest piece and then close with your first strongest piece. Okay? A lot of comedians, and Ray Romano gave me this advice, said, when you get nervous, your tendency is to speed up and get through all of your material, but resist that and slow down. So let's see if I'm able to do that tonight. Pretend you have a lot of confidence. That makes the audience feel safe. And one person said, this was really interesting, Bill Hicks, who was a, a great comedian, used to say that your act is something that you fall back on when you have nothing else to say. In other words, do try to make it sound improvisational. Moving along here, people laugh when they think that they're hearing a joke for the first time. You know, that they're not just hearing prepared material. It's like you get up there and maybe tonight you're trying out a joke for the first time. Well, that's going to be easy because all of this 
is new for me. They're hearing every joke for the first time. This was an interesting one. Someone said stand-up is far and away the most arrogant of any art form, (laughs) which is probably true. David Steinberg said that you need to lead them in with a couple of smaller jokes. Just relax them into who you are and how much in control you are. If they feel you're in control, then they'll stay with you, and then you can pretty much take them anywhere. The key here is that they don't think you're desperate. So that's a little bit different from the one person who said, open with your second strongest bit, and David Steinberg says, no, no, just kind of lead them in. So those are the pieces of advice that will also be rattling around in the back of my brain when I do this tonight. Okay, that's part one. Coming up now, the actual stand-up. Coming up. upon how this goes, it might be Adam. Uh, Well, uh, first of all, everything that I'm about to tell you is true. These are all true stories. I was in the Army Reserve uh, to get out of Vietnam. Yes, I'm a millennial, but from the other century. And I had to go through basic training, through regular Army basic training, and I was sentenced to uh, Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, in the Ozarks, and my drill sergeant was like right out of central casting, you know, just the redneck, stupid, Jew-hating, Neanderthal, future Trump supporter. And uh, he had trouble pronouncing Levine. He couldn't pronounce Levine. He pronounced it Veen. But it was actually Veen, you fucking dud. But really, my... God-given name, as far as he was concerned, was, Vin, you fucking done, I'm going to run you every fucking where you go. That's what he called me the whole time. I'd say, uh, what time is chow? Vin, you fucking done, I'm going to run you every fucking where you go, noon. And this guy, he, he would have joined the KKK, but he couldn't spell it. And... And he hated me. I, you know, like I was tall. I was one of them boys from the college, and I was uncoordinated, and I was Jewish. And he used to say to me, "Vin, you fucking dud. I don't want to hear any more of your chazarai." <laughs> no, we'd be information, and he would say, uh, "All Hebraic personnel, please fall out." I was like. Wait, it's just me. It's like the nearest Jew in St. Louis. <laughs> but but they, they hated me. I mean, look, I did break a lot of the rules. One of the rules that we had there was you couldn't go to the PX, which was the Army store, just Costco without the samples. But, you know, it's like if your mother sent you stuff, from home, they had to let you keep it because it was sent through the U.S. mail. But otherwise, you could not go to the store. Why? Harassment. Army. Why? So I was always so hungry after chow that I would sneak over to the PX and I'd buy a bag of cookies 
and I could eat an entire bag of cookies in one night. And at the time, not gain any weight. It was the all marching with dumb shits every day diet. But um, <laughs> I literally, I'd eat a bag of cookies a night. So one night, I'm in the barracks, and there were eight of us, seven other guys, and they were cramming really hard for the test the next day on how to salute. And I'm reading Chaucer. <laughs> and, and the drill sergeant and company commander come in. And there's a snap inspection. A bayonet was missing. So we all had to stand up by our lockers. And I stand by mine. And again, true story, they open the locker, an entire bag of Oreos cascades down on the company commander's feet. And the drill sergeant goes, Fiend, you fucking done. You know the rules. No cookies unless they're from home. I said, sir, my mother works for Nabisco. <laughs> I was cleaning with dreams for two months. <laughs> and then I, I also had to qualify for, <laughs> for my weapon. Uh, this is the thing, I had to shoot a, a rifle, me, shooting a rifle. I have no depth perception. Uh, I probably won't even be able to see the light. And uh, so I need 12 hits to qualify. Because if you don't qualify, what happens is they recycle you. You have to do it again. And this was night fire. And the target was pretty close. The target was pretty much like where the gentleman in the orange shirt is sitting, uh, which isn't too bad. And you had 60 rounds. But it was night fire, so it was pitch black, and you had to shoot machine gun style, and you were lying on the ground. So what I did to hedge my bet, I went up to the two sharpshooters, and I said, look, you guys don't want to get good scores, because they're going to send you right to Vietnam. And they were like, oh, I haven't thought of that. You know, these are not chess masters. So I said, uh, okay, tell you what. You get on this side of me, and you get on this side of me, and both of you shoot at my target. So now I have 180 rounds that are pumped in the direction of my target. 180. Okay, guess how many hits I got on my target. Huh? Fifty. Fifty? No? Zero. Zero. Okay, so now the lights come up, and I'm standing by my target, and the drill sergeant is down the way, and he's got his uh, clipboard, he's like marking off everybody's scores, and I'm getting panicked. So I take a big pen out of my jacket, and I just start stabbing the target, okay? And he comes up to me, and he looks at it, he's like, what the fuck is this? And I go, it's the experimental bullets, drill sergeant. I don't know, it's a top secret. It was very strange, and fortunately, they... They passed me because otherwise I would be there today. <laughs> and um, I do have to say, though, that the Army did kind of help give me a career because, as you mentioned, I went on and became the head writer of MASH, and then a few years later I won um, an Emmy. People always ask, what is it like when you're standing up there and you win an Emmy? And there's an audience and you're on camera and you know that millions of people are watching you. And again, this is an absolute true story. So as I'm giving my speech, I'm thanking my family and everything, what's going through my head 
is, I hope you motherfuckers from Delta 5-2 are watching this. <laughs> <laughs> right? That fucking dud is up there, and you boys are going to have to put up with my chazarai one more time. Thank you. Okay, there you have it. I have now made my stand-up debut. Now, I am recording this about three hours after that performance for a reason. You may notice that my voice sounds a, a little bit raspy. Well, that's because earlier this afternoon, hey, guess what? I started getting sick. I have a bad sore throat, and I figured, you know what? I better record this now because by tomorrow morning when this cold breaks, I'm going to sound like Elmer Fudd. Also, it gives me a chance to share some of my thoughts and feelings while they're still fresh in my head. So I arrived at the other door in Burbank about 8.15, and I was scheduled to go on at 9.45. And I wanted to get there early to hear some of the other stand-ups and kind of get a sense of what I was in for. And when I got there, there were maybe... Uh, seven, eight people in attendance. By the time I went on at 9.45, uh, there was probably 15, maybe 18 people. Certainly not just the two or three that were <laughs> there when I first arrived. I thought, oh my God, this is just going to be terrible. Even if I'm hilarious, you're going to get a couple of smiles from two people. But I did have at least enough of a crowd so that you can get a sense whether something worked or something didn't. And the other thing, too, is most of the people, at least early on, were just other comics waiting to go on themselves. So they were pretty much performing for each other. In terms of the material, every other comic, every other comic did sex jokes and drug jokes, but mostly sex jokes, men and women. Anal sex, motorboarding, fetishes, body parts, masturbating, molestation. And then I'm thinking to myself, oh, God, and I'm going to go up and do army jokes. They're going to think that I came from Iceland. The sets themselves were generally really rough, works in progress. You know, they're just kind of working out jokes. Most of them came up either with a phone to record their performance or with a, a notepad or cards. And a number of them were just reading off of cards or would refer to cards. And to me, that's just such a bad idea because, boy, that is a great way to lose an audience. You tell a couple of jokes and then you lean over to the table and you go, okay, and uh, gee, do I have time to do the bit about uh, you know getting raped by the priest? Uh, how much time do I have? I'm in on 37. Okay, well, and I'm, and I'm going to do just the thing about uh, getting a blowjob uh, in a closet uh, joke. And, and then they do a blowjob in the closet joke. <sighs> okay, I, I figured at least mine was a prepared set. I figured you go up there, you're performing. So I didn't bring any notes with me. I also, as I mentioned, didn't memorize per se. 
as you were probably able to hear that I fumfered here and there. But at least I kind of knew where I was going and I had a beginning, middle and an end. A lot of times they were just going, okay, uh, I got to do like nine jokes tonight at the comedy store, so I'm just going to try them out for you. Uh, What about this one? Uh, What about that one? So at least I had a routine. And when I'm up there and I'm finally doing my set, I know not everything is working, obviously, but I can at least get the sense that everybody is looking at me, you know, that they're not talking amongst themselves. So at least they were listening. They might not have been laughing at everything, but at least they were listening. And in some cases, they actually did laugh. And when I got the first couple of laughs, that certainly made things a little bit easier and took the pressure off. And again, I was thinking of all of the advice that I had gotten from various comics earlier in the day. And the big one, the Ray Romano one, was just slow down. Don't try to rush through your material, which is probably why it came out a minute and a half late. The way it works, and again, I'm learning all of this because I'm a newbie, is that at the four-minute mark, they shine a light at you, and that is your indication that you have 60 seconds, start wrapping it up. Well, I didn't see that light. So I'm thinking, well, I've still got a lot of time. And you really have no conception of time. At least I don't as a neophyte. I had no conception of whether or not I was up there for three minutes or 22 minutes. But then they shined another light. And I think that was the light saying, get off, son of a bitch. But I saw that light and I said, oh, okay, there's my light. And I'm midway through my last bit. So, oh, this should easily be done in about 30, 40 seconds. No reason to uh, wind this up quickly. And so I just finished my set blissfully and walked off. And again, thanks to everybody at the open door. They were very nice about it because, you know, usually they don't want you going over five minutes. But in my case, A, they knew that I was a first timer. So they gave me a little slack there. And B, the stuff was kind of working. And a lot of stuff wasn't. So I finished my set, and I have to tell you, I was incredibly relieved. Now, people say, well, you get up there, and there's like such a buzz, and you really get bitten by it, and it's something that that you just want to do. It's like a drug. Mm, No. Uh, For me, I have to say, it was uh, a fun experience. It was actually more fun when it was over and I was able to just kind of relive it, you know, not having to do it anymore. And it was very helpful that I had a couple of friends who were there who are pretty successful comedians in their own right uh, offering me support, Susie Sagar, who I mentioned before, and also Joe Dungan. And so ah, I was done How do you celebrate your stand-up debut? I went home and treated myself to a couple of NyQuil. So there you have it. What did you think? You can always write me, of course, at hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. And I can now say bucket list check. Thank you very much. You've been a wonderful audience. Good night, everybody.
I envy people who know wine. Actually, I'm amused by people who know wine. I love to watch them order. They're just so pretentious. Uh, that wine is a little peppery uh, for me. Do you have something a, a little more fruit forward? Oh, my God. Listen, I like wine. I don't really know what is good or what is bad. All I know is what tastes good to me. And that is why I have gotten involved with Wink, W-I-N-C. It is a wine club. They send wine right to my home and I work with them based on my tastes and they send me great wines from all over the world. And I don't have to be pretentious either. It's a terrific deal, and I want you to try it out. Have a nice introductory offer for listeners of this podcast. You can get $22 off of your first order when you go to Wink, that's W-I-N-C, Wink.com, and type in slash Hollywood. And you get free shipping if you order four bottles or more. So, don't call that sommelier or sommelier. See, I don't even know how you pronounce that. All you got to do is just uh, go to your computer and type in wink.com slash Hollywood and get $22 off your first order now. What the hell does Fruit Forward even mean? And that will do it for episode 29 of Hollywood and Levine. You can follow me at Ken Levine on Twitter, also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. And you can write me anytime, HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. Our thanks to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, and Randy Thomas. Next week, if all goes well, the reading of my pilot with the cast... I should have had in the first place. See you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Hollywood and Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.